Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? February 3rd edition of the Fightful MMA Podcast. I'm your host, Showdown Joe. You can find me online via social media on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Showdown Joe. And it is Friday. It's a very analytical day. Uh, and when that happens, I bring on the best of the best, Reed Kuhn, uh, at Fightnomics on social media. Uh, Reed's been traveling. And unfortunately, uh, just like Sean Ross Sapp yesterday, Reed has just informed me that apparently I'm the guy giving everybody in this industry, colds, flus, and sickness. So, Reed, I apologize if that's the case. Hey, it's a computer virus now. So, you're getting us through all these podcasts, but it's all right. I'll live. I apologize for that. Uh, lots to discuss uh, in terms of this Saturday's event. Uh, I got a bunch of questions for you regarding the main event. I want to get right to it as soon as possible, only because when I do the math here, a lot of, so there's some fights here that don't make sense. Uh, a lot of people are picking uh, the Korean zombie, Chan Sung Jung, in the main event. Um, he's been off for three years, almost four, if you think about the last time he competed in the octagon. Uh, I do understand why people are favoring him, but Dennis Bermudez, I think, has competed seven times since the last time Chan Sung Jung has competed in the octagon. I will leave this up to you. What are your thoughts on this boat? Yeah, that layoff introduces some volatility to this. Um, so it's hard to know if those numbers are the same. Um, you know, in the modeling world, we would actually time decay or regress those performance stats uh, because of the time off and the uncertainty it introduces. Um, we do know that ring rust is kind of a thing when there's a year-long layoff. Guys don't tend to do as, as well as they have. Um, so it's, all of that is uncertain. But you mentioned a lot of people are picking the Korean zombie here. He's a very wily fighter. Um, he, he's turned in some surprisingly good uh, performances. Dennis Bermudez, on the other hand, looks really good on paper. Uh, his wrestling is amazing. His stand-up striking stats are actually kind of mediocre. And there's one issue, this glaring hole in the in the game there. He has been knocked down quite a bit. Um, and Chen Sung Jung is one of the kind of guys that could throw some crazy strike and catch him. The longer this fight goes, that's where a layoff kicks in. So that that ring rust doesn't do well for your cardio. Um, you just not, you know, there's a little bit more of maybe an adrenaline dump. You've been out for a while. Maybe it truly is just the conditioning and the intensity required to compete at a high level. 
especially five rounds. So the, there's a lot of question marks about uh, if Bermudez takes over as the fight goes on, which he's very capable of doing. So if it ends in a flash, I think it's maybe the Korean zombie catches him with something, but Bermudez could grind this out. And so the uncertainty of the layoff and what Korean zombie, what shape he's going to be in when he, when he comes back in here, um, those are what I'm looking for. I'm looking for how he looks in that first round. Is he confident? Is he fit? Uh, is he waiting for that opportunity to clip Bermudez? Uh, and can he stay off his back? We know he has good submissions, but Bermudez is a very stifling top control kind of fighter, a grinder, not a submission specialist. Um, you know, he doesn't attempt a lot anyway, but he will hold you down and keep you there. So uh, Bermudez actually is the two to one favorite currently. I've been seeing a lot of chatter that um, some big bets were coming in on Jung. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, where it falls. Um, I, I think because of that, we maybe should expect a little bit of volatility. Now, weigh-ins have just happened. It's still minus 200 tomorrow. Super Bowl weekend. we got a lot of people in Vegas. Um, so the sports books in Vegas should be seeing increased action because it's the whole Super Bowl weekend card. And remember, most of the time, UFC will put on a major pay-per-view event for this weekend for the Super Bowl in Vegas. This year, totally different strategy. They're putting on a smaller card in the city where the Super Bowl is to entice uh, spillover fans that are traveling for the Super Bowl. So it's a different it's a different scenario here, um, but you do still have more gamblers in Vegas than usual who want to throw something on a fight before the Super Bowl gets you know gets going on Sunday. So um, we could see some interesting volatility. I, when I looked at the numbers, I was leaning Bermudez because of the grinder attitude, but I do admit that he is vulnerable um, surprisingly so, he's been knocked down uh, quite a few times, despite the fact that you know, he's not that old. Uh, so that's a concern. Do you think the two to one uh, Bermudas being a two to one favorite is correct? Because I think it should be a little bit more than that. But it's only I'm only saying that mainly because. Korean Zombie has been out for so long. I don't know exactly what type of training they did in the military uh, in, in South Korea, and I know it's not really MMA-related, uh, but he did put in a camp. He's able to put in a full training camp, but it's completely different when you get back into the octagon or into action. Um, the only problem, I mean, there's been other people, uh, and I bring up the analogy, I brought it up all week this week, and I talked about the Korean Zombie. Um, when Freddie Asuncao competed uh, versus Jay-Z in Titan, he was off for quite some time, and he went into the fourth round and looked absolutely fantastic against Jay-Z actually winning the title, becoming the Titan FC lightweight champion. Um, so sometimes he, and, and he was adamant, Reed, there's no such thing as ring rust. It's fake. It's not real. And I was like, well, I know a guy named Reed Kuhn who, who has numbers uh, to say about this. So first things first, the two to one for, or, or, for Bermudez and the numbers you have around cage rust, ring rust, how real is it? Well, it's real as a macro trend. And then, of course, each individual, you know, they have other more dominant factors that are going to decide whether or not they have ring rust. Um, we do have a more recent example. You know, Tim Kennedy was out of the cage for a long time, doing a lot of different things. Now, he's known for being in ferocious physical shape, um, but he admitted that he gassed for the first time in his life in a fight. And he's a grinder. And it was at the time off. Was it the two weight cuts in a month against Kelvin Gastelum? Um, there's some compounding factors there, uh, but we've seen it before. We've seen guys come back and just not quite look like themselves. Uh, and there's some of that being in fight shape and, and knowing the intensity of the fight and trying to stay in shape to maintain that. So 
Um, the macro trend is obviously there on paper. Each individual, it's it's up to them. So I obviously concede that there will be exceptions to the rule. It's a mild macro trend. It's not an enormous one. It doesn't doesn't say that people who are out a, a year are always going to lose. No, a, a third or something like that at the time, they're still going to win. Maybe the Korean Zombie is one of those guys that pulls that off. Um, but it doesn't. It certainly doesn't help. Uh, and Bermudez, his fighting style, being a grinder, being a wrestler, only compounds that threat. So I do think the odds are roughly right. Um, however, again, there's that risk of getting clipped. Bermudez now has an increasing liability, and that's always there. So if it ends early, it's probably because Korean Zombie catches him. If it keeps going round to round, I think you can bet that Bermudez is going to grind him out, maybe get a decision or, you know, probably not a submission, but... Um, Never know if maybe a late TKO on the ground, just really grind him down on the mat. That's probably how he wins. Well, Bermudez is 30 years old, and he's been competing. He still technically has two years to go before that fall-off starts to occur. Korean Zombie's 29, okay? Technically, he's in his prime, but he's had three years, two to three years removed from his prime, which I guess you could sort of make the, the, the addition that you can add that to later on in his career where he'll be able to potentially compete a lot more, all things considered. He doesn't get injured. He doesn't break down. He doesn't get too many concussions. Um, despite this bout here for the Korean zombie where he is the underdog, when guys in general, and I don't know if you have any numbers towards this, but when guys or girls in general take an extended period of time off during what is supposed to be their prime fighting time, is that beneficial? I don't think so, um, because your prime fighting time is, is your prime for a reason, your physical prime, but it's also the period of time where you're learning a lot. So each fight is a learning experience, at least for the, the professionals and the, the people with good teams. And even a loss during that period of time can be maybe even beneficial to your long-term career in terms of teaching you things and forcing you to train certain aspects of the game that you didn't, you didn't really have. So a three-year gap is a three-year lost opportunity to learn inside the cage. And that's important, I think, mentally um, and strategically for a fighter to pick up those skills and, and to be pushed into situations that they aren't comfortable with. Because every opponent's going to be different. It's going to force training of different styles. If you're just training on your own, you're not going to be pushed into those situations. And, and I think um, coaches like Greg Jackson intentionally put people into situations that they're not comfortable with until they get comfortable. And that's, that's how they get diversified and, and well-trained, cross-trained. Uh, so I think this is a missed opportunity. Um, this was a chance for him to really up his skill game um, while he's in great physical shape and hopefully not taking as much damage so that he can rely on those skills later on when perhaps he has lost a step. Another boat you want to talk about that you got some analytics behind uh, is the boat that I'm basically I've been saying it for a while. There, there will be violence, and I don't think it's going to be a pretty fight. Well, if you're a hardcore mixed martial arts fan, you want to see damage, you want to see beatdowns, you want to see two guys uh, who will not be throwing caution in the wind. The Ape Trujillo taking on James Vick is going to be an ugly fight, and it's going to be violent. Uh, and you listen to the last interview, I'm not, not sure if you saw it or heard it um, or read about it. Ape Trujillo is promising uh, violence in the this fight here, and we all know that. Uh, James Vick is a guy that, um, if he gets your back, he could be in big trouble. Abe Trujillo has been submitted before. He's also been dominated by the likes, um, by a few people. He's been choked out by Tony Ferguson. He's been dominated by uh, Nurmagomedov. Uh, he did go the distance with him, though, to my understanding, or if I, if I remember correctly. But this is not going to be a pretty fight. When you break this down based on your numbers, what do you see? 
Yeah, Trujillo swings for the fences. Um, he doesn't just hit hard. He, he really specifically swings for the fences very often. So there's a metric that I look at that is uh, of your standing distance power head strikes, you know, the standard punch when you're, when you're boxing or kickboxing, this does include head kicks. Um, what share of those are hard, powerful strikes versus jabs? Now, average is somewhere around 50-50, which is to say most people use a one-two combination, a jab and a power strike, and it, and it evens out over time. Abel Trujillo, 75% of his head strikes are power strikes, only 25% of jabs. And when you see guys like that, they are swinging for the fences. They're not really, they're not setting up the point striking game. They're, they may not even be winning round to round. Um, they're trying to bait you in or get into a shootout and hope that they land a bomb. And that's the way Abel Trujillo fights. And when he doesn't land that bomb, he sometimes gets into trouble, especially against a good grappler. Now, James Vick is enormous. He's very rangy uh, for that weight class. Uh, and he is more of the, the point striker type of fighter. Um, and I was looking at the stats. The problem is that James Vick, uh, let me look at the stat, been knocked down four times already. His knockdown rate is uh, defensively way above average for his division, for the lightweight division. So, yeah, he's really rangy, and he might be hard to catch, hard to close the distance on, uh, but people have been dropping him. And he's actually one of the few people that's been dropped multiple times in a fight, and then I think come back to win a decision. So he's, he's clearly scrappy, but that style of fighting, of, of getting clipped a lot, is not going to help, especially against the guy who's swinging for the fences. So we have this kind of extreme uh, styles mismatch, um, the rangy guy is going to be landing very accurate strikes. Vic is an accurate striker, so he uses his range well. Uh, it's just his defense doesn't stand up. Um, but James Vic also doesn't use wrestling. So that's interesting. So Trujillo has this glaring vulnerability with his ground game. Uh, good wrestlers, submission guys, who are to take him out of his element, grind him down, and then go for the submission. James Vic isn't really that guy. He has not used a lot of takedowns. He he actually has a 0% takedown success rate in the UFC, at least not including the uh, TV show that he was on. Um, so that's kind of surprising. So, you know, Trujillo actually has better chances than usual, um, given the fact that he's giving up a six-inch reach advantage to James Vick. So you know, Trujillo is a knockout threat. There's a knockout prop, I think, that is plus 250, 260, something like that. Um, that's interesting from a gambling perspective because the – the factors are aligning to say that Trujillo has a very good chance to not get taken down, to roll a bomb, and he just really has to land a couple because Vic has been vulnerable. If he doesn't, if he lets himself get pushed around the cage by a rangy guy who stays out of range, then, yeah, of course, Vic is going to be good at uh, you know, winning round to round. But that's what makes this one interesting. Well, as we're talking, uh, there are some lines that are moving as we speak, and I'm just like, whoa. Was here for a second. Um, there, there. I don't know how much data you have uh, on Jessica Andrade's fight versus Angela Hill. That's the one that I'm referring to. She is now Andrade is now a minus five twenty five. Uh, I think she is the biggest favorite on this card. Yes, she is. That's not where that number was when we started the show. Not to say that you and I are changing that line, uh, but it is dropping again. I don't know if that has to do with the weigh-ins uh, and the pictures and some of the video that's coming out right now. Everything should have been fine. Angela Hill is, is clearly smiling ear to ear, uh, but there is a, I mean, e even in the folks that I've been speaking to on this podcast, as well as those that I kind of, you know, mentioned, whether I'm emailing, texting, or just see people in general talking about the UFC event, 
Andrade is, is apparently going to smash Angela Hill. Uh, and and I, I listen, I, I'm not going to disagree with it, although I'm a huge fan of Angela Hill because, you know, there, there's a part of me that really, you know, enjoys interacting with her over social media. I think she's hilarious. She's funny. She's always giving me love read whenever I'm in Japan doing the Ryzen shows. Uh, she loves the Canadian accent. Apparently, I've got a strong Canadian accent. Uh, I would, I don't hear it, maybe because it's mine. Uh, but this is a fight that's not looking good for Angela right now. Do you have any analysis or numbers towards this fight at all? Yeah, I, I pulled the numbers just because we did have sufficient sample size on Angela Hill. However, uh, we do not have her most recent fights because she was in Invicta for a while, over a year. I think the last several fights were in Invicta. Um, so it makes this a little bit less reliable. So we're looking at stats that are dated. Uh, they were her performance a while ago. So not her freshest stats, and that's hard to factor in here, uh, which is why we, we're not really predicting this one. Um, but it's worth noting, Andraj uh, does show up very well on paper, both standing and on the ground. Her ground stats are actually very good. She attempts a lot of takedowns, good success rate, um, advances, submissions, ground control. Angel Hill, on the other hand, 0% takedown success so far in the UFC. I don't know if she's um, improved that over in Invicta, but uh, she did not use wrestling effectively at all in, in her three fights. So that's a potential mismatch. They both show up as very accurate. Uh, however, Andrade, um, much more accurate with her jab. She's much younger as well. You would expect her to be a little bit more durable, and um, she's very aggressive, so she likes to push opponents around and work the jab, which is a good advantage to then later set up the takedown. So uh, the metrics do favor Andrade here. I saw that same line when I when I started this podcast, and I was thinking, wow, so she is now by far the biggest favorite on paper, and that's and that's counting the fact that Ovin St. Pru is fighting against a relative newcomer, so uh, very interesting. Yes, OSP is taking on uh, Vulcan Uzdemir, my boy from Titan FC. Still upset that I was never able to call one of his fights because back and forth, he one, one opponent backs out or one opponent gets injured and then he's supposed to fight and then at the last second gets pulled uh, just before the weigh-ins and told that he's going to the UFC on two weeks' notice to take on OSP on this card here. So uh, interesting. Uh, there, there's one, there's usually a variety of, of bouts on a card that, you can look at, at as sleepers. Uh, there's one here on this card here that I'm looking at a potential sleeper pick. I and mean, then these are the picks that you could be completely way off, Reed. Like just you're out to lunch, Joe, or you're like, see, told you so. Um, this Tisha Torres Beck Rawlings fight with Beck Rawlings being a plus 240 and a Tisha Torres at minus 280 currently, uh, by the sounds of it, uh, two things. Tisha Torres is basically saying she's done. She's retiring. This, this potentially could be her last fight. So one foot out the cage. Okay, that's got me nervous, number one. And she's a minus 280 favorite. Number two, look at her record. She doesn't finish anybody. All her fights go to the decision. How you could be a minus 280 when you constantly go to a decision, win or lose, is, is a bit strange to me. Um, do you have any analytics on this fight here? Or do, is it something that you look at and say, Meh, you know what, it is what it is. And you know, this is a case of MMA and it goes where it goes, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. No um, I do have numbers on that one. Again, pulled it just because we did have sufficient sample size. Um, not hugely confident. 39 minutes of data for Beck. Um, 60 minutes of data for Tisha. As you said, she tends to go to decisions a lot, so we have more minutes. Um, Beck is a striker first, and she's been trying to round out her game. And she actually does have a submission win, I think. Um, but she does prefer to box. 
and that's her style and she looks very comfortable doing it. Tisha Torres is, you know, this small, stocky wrestler, wrestler hybrid maybe. Um, you know, her striking stats are not bad. She's actually very accurate and has good defense. Um, but I, I think she prefers to be on the mat because most of the time, 86% of the time when she's on the ground, she's, in, she's the one in control. So while Rollins is more mixed on the mat, she's been put on her back and occasionally had success. Um, Tisha probably thinks she has the upper hand if she gets this down because Beck, I think, would prefer to stand and trade. She will have a reach advantage. Um, you know, she she has very high accuracy offensively. Her, her defense is maybe a little bit questionable. Um, sometimes we see that in the lower divisions. You can probably take a few punches um, unless it's that weird, crazy kick that Paige Van Zandt somehow landed on her, which I think even Beck would like to get that one back. Um, but yeah, some of the compounding factors, you mentioned the fact that uh, Tisha says she wants to retire after this. You wonder about motivation. When people know it's their last fight, there's two ways to go. One, they're already, they've already got one foot out. They're, they, they're saying that because they know they didn't put in a great camp and they're kind of mentally preparing for that. I've seen it with a few fighters. Uh, they usually come in in not as great shape. The weight cut's a little bit harder. That's a tough spot to be in. Other guys, you know, if you, if you decide way in advance that this is your last fight, you want to go out on top of the win and you train like a maniac, you know, your right favor looked amazing in his last fight. Um, but it's not always the case that way. So yeah, a little bit of confusion here, but yeah, the numbers um, are a little bit confusing because Torres, I would have expected to be a little bit more skewed on her wrestling. Her wrestling is great. Um, I expected her striking to be not so great. And it actually is pretty good on paper. And Beck being the specialist, I expected her to be better and they're actually very, very similar. Um, so Overall, I would lean Torres on paper. There are some confounding factors here. There's a big size difference. Um, so if, if Beck can keep her at range and work her game, that would work to her favor. But, um, you know, Tisha could just uh, grind her out if she's coming in in awesome shape. You never know. Fair enough. Um, not sure. Are you aware of this book here, Fightnomics? <laughs> Seen it. 2013 is when this book came out, this absolute gem that uh, continues. It's the one book that never collects dust, by the way. It doesn't collect dust because I'm always reading something in this book. Page 326, Next Generation of MMA Analytics. A certain Reed Kuhn had mentioned, um, where is it here? Imagine placing, pardon the word, accelerometers? Accelerometers. Accelerometers. In the gloves of fighters, each measuring all aspects of the movement of a fighter's hands. These small gadgets could be embedded in MMA gloves underneath the wrist where they are generally out of harm's way. Sending detailed real-time signals to nearby nearby computers, a.k.a. apps, I might say, uh, that interpret the action, we could instantaneously determine the frequency, strength, and accuracy of all arm strikes. I could go on and on and on and on. Now, this was written in 2013. It's now 2017. A company called Hikso, I believe it's pronounced Hikso, has come out with said gadget. Read something you know a little bit about. Uh, and I've seen some of their work. I've been to their website. Uh, I've spoken to them. Uh, Tommy Duquette will be joining us momentarily. Uh, I would say within about three minutes' time. Uh, so I don't know how much time I will have with you. But this technology is fantastic. They've been endorsed by John Wayne Parr, who is an absolute legend in the world of mixed martial arts. I've seen how these things work. They are fantastic. Uh, I want to get myself some. 
Uh, it is what it is. We'll see what happens from there. But uh, did you know that this was happening when you wrote the book? I didn't. I just sort of assumed it would happen. Um, and so the fact that they reached out to me, uh, I, I ran into these guys uh, over a year ago, I think at this point, um, and they happened to be going through the Y Combinator Accelerator Program in Silicon Valley, which is a very prestigious, um, you know, pick startup ideas, give them a little bit of seed funding and let them run with it. Uh, anybody who's seen the Silicon Valley TV show on HBO, imagine a house filled with a whole bunch of people who are just hacking away on computers all day long. Uh, except the only difference is that when I went to visit these guys, they also had a garage with a bunch of heavy bags and some MMA gloves. So that was the only difference between that and the TV show Silicon Valley, uh, very close to home show. So uh, it was awesome to, to find out that people had pushed this idea forward and decided to commercialize it and productize it. So you need some engineering talent. You need a lot of data science talent. It's, it's not an easy uh, question to tackle. It's not quite as simple as I... I explained it in the book. It's far more complicated than that, but we are there. Um, and finally, you know, I was envisioning it on the big screen as a fan. I was thinking, wouldn't it be awesome on the replay to know exactly how fast that punch was that knocked down the opponent? Um, that would be pretty cool. But also to automate the frequency and speed of punches, you have these basic stats that have to be collected manually currently. We've got to automate all that. So um, the idea that these guys have made it is very really cool. And obviously their, their mission actually is to roll it out to the training market. Uh, and when I punch the bag with these things, I realize how cool that would be. You know, every time you go to the gym, you'd be able to track your own progress. If you're, if you're Greg Jackson and you got a whole stable of fighters, you're able to see your own guys and see their history, how they're, how they're performing, how they're improving, use it as a constant uh, measurement tool to ensure that people are moving forward. You know, and the future is looking pretty bright. It's not just speed and accuracy and counts. Eventually, we're actually going to be looking at the form of a punch uh, to see, to, to learn how to throw it more efficiently, for example. Um, that's, you know, maybe that's a little bit further downstream. But um, the fact that these gloves are going to be available to consumers, uh, even average guys that train at the gym, is really cool because you're going to be able to do a lot uh, in terms of measuring your own performance. Well, they're basically punch trackers, and as it stands right now, uh, we're just waiting for Tommy to join us now. Uh, there is no guarantee he's going to join us. Uh, I, I threw it out to him. Uh, but the way these basically work is they go from the videos that I've seen. They're about yay big. They're like a USB stick each. They're, they're small enough, and they can be put on the wrist. You can just wrap your hands right? The way you, know, you would wrap your hands when you're training, and it would start measuring from there. I like the, the fact that there's an app. Uh, that you could download and it automatically tracks it. I do highly recommend people do check out their Instagram page as well as their website. The website's hikeso.com, H-Y-K-S-O.com. Uh, but it was on their Instagram that I noticed it, and that's hi- at Hikeso Boxing, um, that I saw Wayne or, or John Wayne Parr, as well as a couple of other people showing the numbers. And you said it'd be great for trainers. It'd be great for fitness enthusiasts. There are a lot of drills that are that, that you know require punching. I recall back in the day when, um, I, there was a drill that we used to do um, at a gym uh, in, in Mitch Toronto, uh, Shaw Franco. Shaw Franco was our instructor. Um, we had a lot of champions. Antonio Carvalho, UFC veteran, trained there. Um, and there was a heavy bag drill that we would do. And he would sit there and would just click, 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 click versus the punches that we were throwing on the heavy bag, right? Well, now it's real. Now, these will definitely measure how many punches you've thrown. And that's a by, by the way, it's a crazy workout uh, if you ever want to try it. How many punches can you throw in a minute, take a 30-second rest, 
keep doing it for five minutes. So uh, it, it is a lot of fun. I like the fact that there are going to be measurable statistics here. Uh, and it's great for, like you said, guys like Greg Jackson that could take a look at their fighters and say, hey, you know what? Your work rate, work rate needs to improve. And great for a guy like the Korean zombie, Chan Sung Jung, who's coming off of this layoff, who would know, for example, ahead of time, hey, I, before I took this layoff, I was doing this. I need to get back to this. I mean, your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Benchmarking is key. So understanding what is normal in terms of activity and then track that round to round. So you can test if a fighter is getting the necessary output in round four and five as he was in round one. And if the drop off is too big, then that's something you need to worry about. Plan for, train around. Um, and then also uh, tracking individual people over time, but also for fight specific situations. Um, so another application of this is looking at the duration of time between striking output. So if you put sensors on a guy who's in a sparring situation and he's too hesitant to pull the trigger, um, you'd be able to see that in the data because in boxing, it's very important to measure how much time elapses between initiations or entrances and time between strikes uh, because that, that does show that you're controlling the ring, controlling the cage. Um, so this is very clearly applicable in boxing because it's all punching in boxing. But in MMA, this is still the majority of the strikes being thrown. And stand-up is the majority of the time being spent in the cage. So we're still attacking a very large piece of MMA with this one application. And obviously, long-term, I'd love to see it go around the ankles um, and to measure kicks. That would be pretty cool. But just right out of the gates, we're already hitting a, a big, low-hanging fruit. I, that, you know, that was going to be my next question in terms of, you know, we can now put it on the wrists. You can start checking your hooks, your, your jabs, your crosses. But how sweet would it be is if you could put it on your ankles, like you said, uh, and measure the kicks. My only concern, obviously, uh, is the impact you would get when you're throwing kicks where they, where they potentially can be located. Uh, but I think it's fantastic. I do believe right now we do have Tommy Duquette uh, on, on with us. So we'll see if he's able to, to come on there. Tommy, you there? I am. We're just we we're not able to see Tommy uh, just yet. I can hear him, uh, Tommy. If you could just try and come back one more time. Yeah. We could see him now. Can we hear him now? Hello. There he is. We got him. All right, Reed. Thank you very much. I will take it from here. I appreciate your insight. Thank you for putting that in the book, as always. We will see you next week. Please get better, my friend. I know, uh, you know, I keep giving people these colds over this computer virus some way, somehow, but I do apologize. Uh, and I better apologize to Tommy Duquette right now because he might be catching a cold uh, as soon as he's done with me. Reed, thank you very much for your time. Before you say goodbye, anything you want to mention uh, to the viewers uh, tuning in right now and those who may potentially be tuning in later on? Uh, no, I'll join you next week for the next pay-per-view card. But in the meantime, I'm going to sign off and then sign back on to see what Tommy has to say because I'm pretty interested. Perfect. Thank you for your time, man. Uh, Mr. Duquette, Tommy, how are you, sir? We're, we're talking about Hikeso, uh, an, an incredible piece of technology, uh, one that has me smiling ear to ear. Uh, and that's strictly not because it's a fantastic, but out of greed. I want these things. Right. I want to use them when I train. I want to show them to every gym here in the greater Toronto region. But first things first, how did this idea come about uh, from yourself and, and from your team? So the idea, and you can hear me before I start, right? Yes, sir. Perfect. The idea uh, actually sprang from our current CEO, original founder. His name's Khalil. Um, he was studying microelectromechanical systems uh, in a master's program at the University of Toronto. But he was also fighting as an amateur boxer um, at a gym in Toronto. 
And, you know, like any engineer, he started sort of thinking up ways that he could invent to better, you know, measure what he was doing. And, you know, he scrapped together version one of uh, the sensors, which is probably like, you know, humongous. It was like putting a, a Toyota on your uh, on your wrist, you know, but it worked and uh, just iterated from there to where we're at now. We have a team of seven and we're now shipping this product right here. I'll show you the size of the sensor. I'll actually take it out. It's uh, right here. So it's tiny. You put it in the wrap, you barely notice it's there. That is absolutely fantastic. I saw the video that John Wayne Parr had put out there. I've been telling people uh, if they do get a moment after this podcast to so check out the Instagram page. You're obviously on Facebook and on Instagram at Hikeso Inc. Uh, but on the, on the Instagram page is actually at Hikeso Boxing. Uh, John Wayne Parr shows a good video. It's edited fairly well. And there's some other items that are there that showcase, hey, you know what? This is a fantastic product. This is how it works. I love the idea of the app. Um, but there's a lot to talk about this product here, and Reed and I were discussing uh, already the evolution of the future of what this could potentially be, but as of right now, um, it's just being shipped for the first time starting this month? Yeah, yeah, so we pre-sold them all throughout 2016, um, and then, you know, all through, throughout 2016, we partnered with um, Arrow Electronics, who provides all the components to us, uh, Icon Technologies, who's our, our contract manufacturer, and we went through the painful process of getting a product actually manufactured at mass scale right so it took a lot longer than we would have hoped that it would but now these things starting uh starting this week they're shipping internationally to everybody who pre-ordered them and for those that don't know the trackers themselves have been used by the canadian and the american uh, olympic teams am i correct Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so prior to going through the manufacturing process we were hand making the units and, um, you know, obviously it's not something that we could do at scale, but we were able to hand make enough to put them in the hands of the U.S. Olympic team, the Canadian Olympic boxing team, and then a lot of professional fighters as well, both from boxing and MMA. When you talk about some of the coaches and some of the people that have been using the product, uh, I assume the feedback has been, you know, for the most part, positive. Um, but how do coaches use this? Because Rita and I were talking about metrics, uh, and you mm-hmm. can basically develop so many different programs for fighters. We're talking about benchmarking. But what have you heard from some of the coaches that are that are using the product? Yeah. So, and and we, you know, just to start, we expect to learn a ton now that we're shipping thousands of these from the actual coaches and the fighters, right? But uh, from the few that we've had you know, they just really believe that they finally have a way to quantify what their fighters are doing, uh, you know, in the activity that's most core to, to what they do, right? Because for years, you could always quantify things like, you know, running, for example, uh, strength and conditioning. You know, when you run, you know how many miles you did, you know the pace that you did. But then you'd get in the gym, you know, in a boxing gym or an MMA gym, and you do your bag work, you do your mitts, you do your sparring, and there's no real way to have data about what you did and have numbers and to quantify what you did. So we like to say, you know, when you can measure, you can improve, right? Otherwise, it's kind of like you're just in the dark. So the coaches are, have been, you know, very, 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 um, you know, happy with what they've been able to with the, able to do with the product. I know Cyborg has been using them. Uh, Joe right. Lozon is another one. Uh, any other people yeah. in the mix, mixed martial arts realm? Well, heck, heck, you can mention boxing. I don't know much about boxing anymore because I've right. been – with MMA since about 96, uh, yeah. really heavy into to MMA. But anyone from the MMA world now jumping on board as well as big names in boxing? Yeah, who else from MMA? I'm trying to think. There, We do have a, a number of other beta testers from MMA. 
Um, Anthony Burchek is a guy who fought in the UFC. Awesome guy. He's a huge believer in the product. Uh, really smart guy, too. So the data for him, um, you know, is, 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 is extremely valuable. And when you talk about, you know, smart people, our early adopters have been individuals that are really intelligent like that. Like Joe Lauzon, for example, has, you know, been very uh, accepting of the new technology. He, he's, he's somebody who uh, comes from a computer science background. So he's Oh, yeah. Like, Self-proclaimed nerd. Yep. Right. So he speaks our language. So, yeah, all, uh, off the top of my head, that's what that's what I'm thinking of. But we definitely have a ton of people in the thousands that we're shipping that come from the MMA world as well. Uh, in terms of the app itself, uh, and for those that haven't seen the picture yet, I'm sure many people will get to see it shortly. But in terms of the app itself, what are the mm-hmm. metrics that you can see on the app? And will it save this information moving forward? Yeah, yeah. So we're, all the data is saved and it's secured on the cloud, too. So we make sure that, you know, nobody has access to anybody else's data unless you go ahead and you share it yourself on social media. Uh, right now, what our app shows on the live screen is total strikes, right? And we what we do really well is we filter uh, all the garbage data. So when you're looking at total strikes, it's a fairly accurate number. It's not like you're, you know, moving your hands around or doing jumping jacks and it's counting those punches. It knows the difference between you know, punch, a block, and general hand movement. So there's the total punch number. There's the average speed of all the punches. And then there's a a score that we came up with, a proprietary metric called the intensity score. And all of this updates in real time. And what the intensity score is, just high level, is it, it quantifies your output, right? So it looks at things like how many punches you're throwing per unit of time, what are the, what's the velocity of those punches, you know, how hard are you throwing those punches, and then it gives you this objective score to sort of like, to start tracking your uh, your rounds of sparring or on the bag or on drills and things like that. Um, we also identify punch type in real time on the app. So and uh, also identify the velocity, the average velocity per punch type. So you're not just looking at an overall average velocity, but you know you're looking at how your velocity changes on all your different kinds of punches. And Is- quantify that. Yes, in terms of quantification, does it need a point of impact to determine whether or not uh, a punch is actually thrown correctly? For example, shadow boxing versus using a heavy bag. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, no, it actually does not. There's no impact is required at all uh, because we what we do is we do full 3D motion tracking, right? So these little sensors, they know their position in three-dimensional space 1,000 times per second. So as they're, you know, they're moving around, they know exactly where they are, and they've been trained on you know tens of thousands of what we call target motions which are like punches and also tens of thousands of non-target motions which would be things like blocks and and you know jumping jacks and things like that um so it's a system we have algorithms that are trained on data so that they learn and they sort of know based off the movement what's going on whether it's a block whether it's a punch or whether it's just nothing Obviously, myself with a TV background, a television background, uh, I see magical stuff happening in my head with replays uh, and understanding just the metrics and the numbers coming down the screen and showing what is actually happening in real time. Uh, Have you ever thought, I mean, in the future, and I don't mean to jump the gun, I don't mean to jump ahead because you're just shipping right now. The product is finally getting getting out uh, with any good company, uh, be it a startup or not, there's always a long-term vision. Is there another vision that you guys have in terms of what potentially could happen with these wearable trackers, especially from a television perspective? Absolutely. Yeah. Broadcast is definitely something that we're interested in. It was actually the original aim of the company. Our original sort of business model was, okay, we're going to take this to the show times of the world and all these guys and, um, you know, give it to them so that they can put this added layer of data on the screen in real and not just on the screen in real time, but also, 
you know, they can have added stats about fighters, both for betting community, maybe fantasy sports, um, coverage in the media, stuff like that. Yeah. What we found, though, pursuing that is that the sales cycle is really long. Uh, the networks are very skeptical. They're sort of happy with the thing, the way things are as is. They don't see it as a huge, uh, like it's going to be something that makes them more money. So they moved really slow, the ones that we were talking to. And that's why we pivoted to the direct-to-consumer model. And the way that I see it is once this gets adopted by the fight community, you know, fans are going to start demanding these stats. Absolutely. And that's, that's where I was going with this. Uh, I forgot to ask you right off the top, and I should have asked you right off the top, Hikeso, mm-hmm. where does the name come from? Yeah, it's funny. The original founder named it after a ancient civilization of people that uh, was known to innovate on warfare technologies. So I think they're credited with uh, creating the chariot, things like that. So they're in the time of like the ancient Egyptians. So he figured he's building, you know, this fight technology. He'd uh, sort of play off that. I saw one of the, the, the videos on Instagram and I, even before I click play, I'm like, this, not, nothing good's going to come from this because they're about to drop it in water. Or they're mm-hmm. dropped the, both to drop the tracker right, the right. sensor in water. I'm like, nothing good yeah. is going to come from this. Uh, and actually, it was fine. Yeah. Uh, so that obviously they're yeah. they're they're I guess water resistant is the term I'm looking for. But what about impact resistant? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure they're not designed to be punched or kicked. But um, if somebody wants to start tracking their kicks, as an example, are they are they ready mm-hmm. for that yet, or is it strictly punches for now? Yeah, yeah, no. There. So as far as just the the impact part of the question, they, they're built to be you know, to, to take a lot of damage. Imagine the reason I'm sitting in a car right now, I apologize for that. It's because I'm in a boxing gym in, uh, in El Monte in, in LA tracking some sparring with a young fighter named Luis Feliciano who was just signed to a uh, golden boy promotions. Great, great prospect. And he's in there sparring and um, all of his numbers, you know, being fed back to the app and the other guy is hitting his gloves and he's blocking all the shots and whacking them right on the sensors. And there, you know, no problems at all. So they're built to uh, sort of withstand all that impact. Um, the, the ones that I have right here actually went through thousands, tens of thousands of really extreme impact testing, stuff like that, before they shipped out to us. And happy to say that they're still in, in great shape. And then um, the second part of the question with the kicks, that's the next thing for us. So we're, we're already testing a little bit with that, starting to train the algorithms and starting to think around, you know, design. Because, you know, we know that the kick sensors would be huge. We, you know, we know that people, people have been asking for them. We know that we can sell them. All right. Before we let you go, I want to thank you, obviously, uh, for doing this. I know you're doing some more work on the side there, but coming on here and talking about what I believe is going to be a massive, uh, massive change uh, to the industry from a television perspective, from an athlete perspective, measuring and quantifying is huge. Uh, Hikeso.com is the website. Before we let you go, anything else you would like to say to the viewers we go. that are watching right now and, and that will be tuning in uh, later on? Uh, it's eight. Yeah. So Hikso, H-Y-K-S-O.com. And Joe, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it to getting you a kit, to getting your feedback. So we're going to have to follow up on that. I appreciate that so much. I want to thank you very much. Uh, thank you to yourself. Thank you to Alexa who helped hook this up. Thank you to Reed uh, for coming up with the idea as well. And it's all coming together now. I feel like uh, I'm in a Back to the Future episode. Uh, but as always, thank you very much for your time. It's Tommy Duquette. Uh, is it Hikso or Hikso? Let's get that straight first. It's, it's, it's you know, I, it's, I think it's supposed to be Hikso, but Hikso is cool with me too. Okay, Hikso for Americans, Whatever, Canadians, uh, Hikso. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, yeah, 
That's perfect. That's perfect. It's like Adidas and Adidas. Right? There you go. That's semantics. Tomato, tomato. Listen, thank you very much for your time. And to everyone watching right now, we do want to thank you very much for your time. Uh, Don't forget FightfulMMA.com for all your news. Tomorrow night, UFC uh, in Houston. It's going to be a fantastic card. But for now, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Be safe. Be safe on this Friday. And be safe on the weekend. Ciao for now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.